is Object to This, an Ace Attorney fan cast. I'm Stephanie. I'm Dad. I'm Michelle. And Dad. We're, we're here today on the spookiest day of the year. <laughs> to be the most truly really scary thing, Dad. <laughs> Ain't it true? <laughs> That's right, son. I'm here. I bought the cigarettes and the milk. <laughs> but no candy. Happy Halloween. <laughs> uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy October. Happy soon-to-be November. Yeah, Americans go vote. The end. Okay, all right, let's. Uh, that was objective. To this so. <laughs> no, the end of that talk. I'll say. Um. Uh. Everybody else, go vote in your own thing. But you know. Uh. How's it going? Happy. Happy. Uh. Happy Dad Day, October thirty-first. Um. That's right. This episode, we are talking about the the main man, the dad himself, Phoenix. I mean, Gregory Edgeworth. Gregory Edgeworth. Jove just I'm sorry, can't uh not that guy. Jove We're not talking about all dads. We're just talking about Gregory. Just Gregory. This is our Gregory tribute. I wanna say that I have the inherited turnabout wiki page open. Uh-huh. And the wiki pages for the Ace Attorney Wiki are the for the cases are the splash page in the menu select for the cases, which is of course on the Nintendo DS. So it's one picture in the top half and one picture in the bottom half. But Ace Attorney conveniently makes the top half the face and the bottom half the crotch. Yeah, that never <laughs> so the, made sense to so me. The, so the picture on the wiki is just Gregory Edgeworth's face down to the chest level and then it resumes at belly button level. <laughs> and it's one solid picture. Thank you, wiki. Oh boy. Thanks, wiki. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a picture of Gregory Edgeworth if his, if his rib cage was edited out. That's just for the rest of this episode. Fantastic. You got the important bits. The face and the part that made Miles. Yeah, spooky. <laughs> uh, spooky. Are there, is there spooky news or regular news? No. Okay. No, no there's no news. There's oh. no... There's no news. The last thing on the Court Records Tumblr is those um, merch that we don't get. Yeah. And the last thing on their website is Court Records supports Black Lives Matter. So, you know. Good job. Good job. So this discussion of Gregory Edgeworth might have some spoilers for the Gregory Edgeworth case and investigations too. Nothing too bad, but, you know, nothing if you're sensitive. And then the, at the end, we'll have some major spoilers, but we'll give you a warning there before we talk about it. Uh, okay, then. I guess we're just going to probably get into it. I don't have anything else that's not about Gregory. Unless we can think of something briefly Halloween talk. Uh, otherwise, no. If I- Miles Edgeworth's favorite candy is candy corn. I don't think he even likes candy <laughs> corn, though. I've... If if Gregory made Miles go trick-or-treating as a youth, I think he would have taken all of his candy and bartered it for, like, a book at school. You're probably right. Or, yeah. You know, like, I bet his teacher had, like, a turning candy and you can get points to get a book out of the library or some shit like that. This is probably, so let's, this very much feeds into our opinion on Gregory Edgeworth, which is really like, why is Miles like that, TM? (laughs) Gregory doesn't, Miles being like that would be okay if Gregory had raised him that way, but it is clear from Investigations 2 that Gregory did not want Miles to be like that, TM. (laughs) So, uh, so what, what happened is really the question. (laughs) 
<laughs> so in re the candy. So you don't think he likes candy at all. But let me hit you with he probably just likes bad candy, which is my opinion. But not the worst candy, because I, I don't think candy corn is the worst candy. It's clear that Necco wafers are the worst candy. They sure are. I think they are no longer in production. Really? Thank God. Um, chalk. Ch- just eat chalk. Uh, don't eat chalk. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle's words, not mine. Are you telling... No, I'm not telling, telling them anything <laughs> to do with chalk. <laughs> On this Halloween to eat chalk? Yeah, they were discontinued this year, May 27th, 2020. Thank fuck. Well, the the ones they have made that nobody has eaten will last all of time. So it's okay. You'll be able to find Necco wafers if you like them. But if you like them, get yourself checked, I think. But so you think Miles Edgeworth hates all candy. I can't think of a candy right now that he would like. Okay. What kind of candy does Gregory like that he would try to convince Miles Edgeworth as a child to enjoy? I, see, like, if we know he doesn't like pocket chocolate, right? And I kind of... They, just that it's too sweet. That it's too sweet. The things that I think that he might have liked were, like, the little, like, Werther's Originals, like, chewy caramels or something. But I think he'd think those are too sweet then. Hmm. Yeah, one of those originals is like a creamy butterscotch, right? But a butterscotch in its native form that is not a Werther's, like a butterscotch caramel, I think, right? Yeah. A, a, a butterscotch in its native form is sweeter than a Werther's, though. Yeah. And I, well, so, so even like, so a real, a real butterscotch or a real caramel square, I think are too sweet for him. But those are the kind of candies I would picture him eating if he were to eat candy. I mean, does that mean it's a Milky Way dark? No, I don't think he likes Milky Ways. I think he doesn't... I can't picture him, like, dealing with chewy caramel in any form. Okay. But it's... So it's gotta be a dark chocolate, though, right? Yeah, like, just, like, a dark chocolate square with sea salt on it. But he only eats, like, the smallest piece as a treat to himself, like, every two months. Like, I... Yeah, and he he probably wouldn't give that to Miles because it's too sophisticated and he wants Miles to be more... Of a chill, fun kid. Yeah. So, like, if Miles was a child trying to, trying to eat a candy bar, it, it would be like a Kit Kat. Because Kit Kats are just, like, generic, and at least it's got, like, the wafer cookie in it, so it's got less flavor. I'm not a fan of Kit Kats myself, so... I am a fan of Kit Kats, but probably... I mean, Kit Kats are wildly popular in Japan, right? So mm-hmm. what if Miles, Baby Miles has, like, a, an affinity for weird fucking Kit Kat flavors? I feel like he wouldn't, like, spend his pocket money trying to find the weird Kit Kats, though. No, but his dad would. His dad would bring him new Kit Kats every day. I bet you, like, like, he liked, like, the white chocolate cranberry Kit Kat. Like, he's like, this isn't bad. And his dad's like, I think I've cracked him. So his dad, Gregory, keeps bringing him different weird Kit Kats. Yeah, and and Miles is pretty much over that. And he takes him to school to trade them for Hot Cheetos or something. Yeah. Not hot Cheetos, but I had a lot. I had a hot Cheetos trading. Oh, I said, I, was in <laughs> I said, yeah, because I that's like a total real child thing. But I don't think this... Miles and I pictured Miles with Cheeto fingers. No, well, I mean, he would trade the hot Cheetos then for something else. Hot Cheeto. When I was a kid, I believe I've said this on the podcast before, but it, it's worth repeating. When I was a kid, hot Cheetos were money on the playground, and my grandpa. I used the poor man, and he would bring me a bag of hot Cheetos every day, and I would then go to the playground the next day and trade it for shit. <laughs> I did not have that clout, unfortunately. I didn't have any cool trading things. Uh, but I 
I was jealous of these hot Cheeto kids. Like, they're kids whose parents gave them pocket money to get French 40 cents French fries with their lunch because I didn't have that money. Or You like, had fucking French fries for lunch? We got, so at my school, you got free Fry Fridays. So that means everybody, if you wanted to, you could get fries with your lunch. Otherwise, every other day of the week, it was 40 cents. Which is like, that's nothing in now adult money. But as a child, that was more money than I ever had. So I did not get French fries. Oh my god. The, the... This is high school. Sorry, to be fair, this is high school. Elementary school, okay, I did not have I was, choices. I was gonna say, high school is where the purchasing of things came in. But not for me, because I went to a fucking weird high school. So... I mean, I could buy real things from real stores in high school, but we didn't have a cafeteria I think our middle school such. also, our middle school was started at sixth grade. So like our middle school also had French fries, but they were selective days, I think. I don't think they were every day. We didn't have, I, I cannot recall ever having French fries in elementary. I do recall that there was pizza on Fridays, but it is the pizza that was made of cardboard. Like it was yeah, not, same. it was not good pizza. It was rectangular. Uh, it was a rectangular cardboard slab that had the suggestion of a cheese based product there was on it. a processed cheese on it there was merely the color red as opposed to sauce yes. and then it was never crispy it was always well and then mine just had like a glob of like oregano seasoning in the middle oh or like the off to the side the luxury the luxury of, of just spices. like old ass oregano from a shaker somebody decided to dump in one corner of the pizza instead of on like the pizza where the sauce would be <laughs> i can picture it but it was it mine was just fucking cheese and nothing else My, but mine was on, we're far off topic yes yeah yes i apologize uh i so i don't i don't know if i just don't picture miles eating candy I do think he would he enjoyed trick or treating if like Phoenix and Larry like got him to go with. I think he would do it. Yeah, I think he would do it, but he probably wouldn't dress up, but that's fine because he looks like young Sheldon, so everyone would think he was in a <laughs> I th- costume. Anyway. I think if like Phoenix brought him a vampire cape, he'd wear it with his little schoolboy <laughs> outfit. Yeah. I don't think they do trick-or-treating in Japan. This is super American, but it's Japanifornia, so maybe they do trick-or-treating. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it's becoming... Halloween's becoming more popular in Japan, but I don't think they do trick-or-treating. Yeah, but. so I, I think he would do, like, a little vampire cape at most. And then, like, let's say, like, or, like the first year, and then if there was a second year, then they would... Like, maybe they could convince him to be, like, a little pirate. I could picture young Miles as a little pirate with like an eye patch yeah, I could see and that. a hat. I think, yeah. But he would like, he would assign to it a role of a historical pirate. He wouldn't just be a pirate. Yeah. He'd be like, I am, I'm, you know, Blackbeard or He would pick like a real, whoever. a real pirate with a real like yeah. complicated name that I don't, I don't know pirate names. Right. Um. Uh, but what uh, uh do, do we have any emails about Gregory? So we have one very long email about Gregory from Jams. Thank you, Jams. I did read the whole thing. I read your whole essay uh, on Jams. And I highlighted the things I think are key in Jams's essay. Um, but uh, Jams has broken up the essay into, like, just general, like, Gregory is so mysterious how did we get to finally meet Gregory and then like repercussions of that case in the series, but also like about the dynamic of Gregory with other characters at, versus other protagonists. So, so then in the introduction here, 
Why I Stand with Gregory Edwards, a lengthy essay essay by Jams. Uh, So in the introduction, Gregory, super mysterious. He's heavily linked to our trilogy um, tri-antagonists, Phoenix, Maya, and Edgeworth. For Edgeworth, papa. You know, for Maya, he connects to Maya because his death with Misty Fay is, you know, causes Mia to become a lawyer and causes Maya to become Phoenix's assistant and... we we end up with the results of the bridge to turnabout where everything you know really like becomes this ah case for us players uh for phoenix it's kind of just like a parallel because phoenix is able to take down manfred where gregory was unable to um yeah and so we also see him parallel with mia in a way because uh because Mia uh, faces off against a young Miles Edgeworth, which is kind of like the feeling you get, you finally get with uh, Gregory. You know, you're like, oh, I love Mia. We don't get enough of her. She's also been dead. So we get this flashback case of Mia where she's fighting Bratworth, uh, up against Bratworth. But we know Miles are, never loses a case until he meets Phoenix. So we know Mia's going to lose. We know it's going to break bad. And it sure does. So It sure does. Although I wouldn't say that technically, like, she didn't lose that one. Uh, the defendant died. Right. But, you know, not like in the in terms of like tick marks on a scoreboard, but she lost yeah. that case. Yeah, yeah. She lost it. <laughs> like, because but, yeah. of the, yeah, like she didn't technically lose it, lose it in the sense of the court, but she lost it in sense of like yeah. pride and him being dead. So like it had the case has a huge sense of dread. We know that she's not going to win it, but we're having a good time playing her. Same with Gregory's. We know that Manfred doesn't go down because we know it ends with a dead man in an elevator. But we don't, we know it's going to be later, but we still have that shrouded and hanging over our heads while we play Gregory. Yeah. So, uh, it is, it is the parallel between Phoenix is like, we, when we're with Phoenix, we meet a lot of Manfred. He's oppressive. He's terrifying. And there's so many points where you're up against him. Like you feel like you can't do anything anything like you're gonna lose because there's you're in a corner so he has so much control that learning about the lawyer gregory who's able to rival him and get him a mark on his record is very intriguing so we build up a lot of like you know those like classic ace attorney little num 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 clues <laughs> yeah about gregory so when we finally oh we get to finally be gregory but uh james wants to segue a little bit to a point to be like all right let's talk about assistant and protagonist dynamics it's going to seem like a little bit of a segue but bear with it so we have phoenix and maya they tease each other but ultimately they feel like they have a responsibility to each other phoenix defends maya when no one else will maya puts herself in contempt of court for phoenix to you know to help defend edgeworth you know it ends with her phoenix jumping off of, like diving off a bridge to help try to save maya like we are just back and forth with those two giving and just trying to hold each other help each other out in a world without mia right apollo and trucy uh they have a very big brother younger sister dynamic uh in james's yeah and I will I will say that Apollo and Trucy also have a sort of um it's it's also a uh, she's whimsical and spontaneous and he's uh fearful and a straight man dynamic too, which is not necessarily brother sister, but it's your it's kind of the manic pixie dream girl dynamic. <laughs> well uh, James kind of supports it, I guess, a little bit more in terms of the brother sister one, which is like Trucy pretends to hold herself hostage, so Mr. Hat with using Mr. Hat 
you know, so uh, Trucy doesn't necessarily do things out of sheer emotion. Uh, so she helps, like, try to bluff in court, help Apollo, because she, for some reason, is more knowledgeable half the time than Apollo. It's true. Uh, and and Apollo uh, berates her, you know, like an older sibling. But there's also the time that Trucy's arrested and lies to Apollo. And Apollo's like, I'm a human lie detector. You can't lie to me. And she, like, breaks yeah. down. And that she's like, I could have accidentally like, caused a death through carelessness. And so, like, she tries to be strong for Apollo and, like, doesn't want to make him worried and stuff like that. So there are slightly more depths to their dynamic. We just don't get as much yeah. of it as we did Phoenix and Maya. Um, yeah. And so we don't... Athena doesn't get a partner. Athena is a partner. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. James doesn't go into this, but I was just like, oh, wait, we didn't talk about Athena. Athena doesn't get a partner, which is like... It's fine because we don't need another person in that Ace Attorney trilogy or series there, but it also just shafts Athena further. Like, she's just always being shafted here. Yeah, and I feel kind of, because in the first one, she was a partner and she was a partner to Apollo or to Phoenix, like to whoever needed it. And then in Spirit of Justice, she's still a partner and they kind of, even in her own case, Blackwell's her partner, but it's kind of clearly acknowledged that Blackwell is stepping back. Yeah, like he's letting he's letting her take this one, champ. Yeah, and he's like, "I'm letting you take this one, champ, but I'll be helping in the way." Like he's he kind of basically says, "I would do this myself if I hadn't been on the scene, but I was on the scene, so instead I will be assisting you." You know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then so in this Poor parallel, things. now we're like this is like the de- one of the detriments we get to being playing playing Edgeworth. Edgeworth being a playable character, and this is James's spicy take, is he does, James does not like the way Edgeworth treats Kay, and especially Gumshoe. He's so dismissive, so unlikable. Edgeworth and Kay sort of have a sibling dynamic, but in terms of Edgeworth is a bratty teenager, and Kay is a lovable three-year-old. <laughs> like... <laughs> It feels like babysitting duty the way Edgeworth treats it. Kay, like, busts, like, you meet Kay and she's busting him out of some ropes tied up in, like, a warehouse. And he still doesn't think she's capable. I don't know how much more capable she can get for you, my dude. Uh, so it's, it's just, like, not, like, he's always, he always treats her like a tag along. Like, in a- It is, yeah, that is really true. Is he never treats Kay as though she has, um you know, abilities, but also a respectable goal. Yeah. And I, granted, she wants to be a thief, so that's why. But he, because uh, because her talents all lie outside of his world, like the world of the law. Yeah. He doesn't respect that. Yeah. And, like, talking purely up until, like, this Gregory case, because stuff after this, I feel, changes between them after this, but I don't want to get into that. Right. Um. But I think, yeah, like, Kay is just kind of very dismissed, and, uh, and, you know, she's not, you know, she's not, like, a typical assistant, but so neither is a spirit medium or a magician, <laughs> you know? But, uh... Yeah, she's not not typical. Like, the assistants are wild, so she does fit the description of wild, right? Yeah. But, uh, I guess my, the problem with that is, like... Edgeworth's entire like the personality we see from Miles Edgeworth in the games where we play as Phoenix spend a lot of time making jokes about him undervaluing and 
berating his subordinates. Right. And so the fact that we have to play him, they have to, and those don't become jokes anymore. Like, you know, Gumshoe and his salary was a joke constantly, right? And it was a, a joke where you'd feel bad for poor Gumshoe. Uh, but you'd feel successful because it's usually you having a win and then Gumshoe getting punished, right? It'd right. be funny, but it'd be sad. And so now the fact that there's no feeling of victory when that happens, but they can't take that away because that was a core personality trait of Miles Edgeworth. So yeah, he is going to belittle all his subordinates all the time. Yeah. And like, and it doesn't feel good because you didn't have a win in the process. It just feels like, he's being- hey, Miles... You're just being mean because you're frustrated because you can't solve the case. Yeah. And, like, Jams goes on to say, like, the worst part is the relationship with Gumshoe. It's supposed to be comic relief, but it's unbalanced. And Gumshoe is time and again a good detective, consistently, like, discovering and delivering pivotal evidence. Yeah, he's goofy and he's got his seven wonders, but he gets (laughs) results. You know, his metal detector is the reason that Edgeworth gets acquitted. Like, the separation from Edgeworth pulls him through. Like, it's... It's very, like, their relationship is a very good work relationship in terms of the results and the dynamic they get each other, but Edward takes it for granted, and Gumshoe is just a punching bag who likes to take it. Like, he respects Edgeworth, like, and that's what I feel like makes it the worst. It's not like Gumshoe's giving it back to Edgeworth. Like, he's not being yeah. like, I'll see you at the salary review. And he's like, I'll take you to the board. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like a back and forth. It's one-sided. So, like, yeah. Gumshoe's just like, oh, okay, boss. You know, like, whatever you say, man. Ooh, that icy glare. Give it to me, man. Like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> he sometimes rolls with the punches, but then we also see him kick like a puppy and it feels bad. Yeah. And I think this was not as bad in Investigations 1, simply because Gumshoe was not there all the time in investigations was right um because they gave us k and then gumshoe disappeared and then they gave us shilong lang and gumshoe kind of disappeared because shilong lang was the detective right Right. but in investigations too we've had quite a lot of gumshoe being around and so it feels worse yeah yeah and gumshoe just continues to be very likable so it's not like you're like gumshoe why'd you do that i I, you you should do better. It's not it's not that at all. Like there's not an instance in which I have that feeling. So uh, why all this talk about other people that aren't Gregory? Well, let's talk about how Gregory and Ray, you know, are are paralleled, right? Right. So there's there's this relationship. Jams really enjoys. There's absolutely no malice. They they never tease each other. They're far like you know they're just. They're just far too respectful. Ray adores Gregory. Gregory is like, hey, like, here's some things that you're learning. You know, like, why do you think that, like, involves Ray? It's not like Ray's being yeah. ignored. Ray's being uplifted. Ray's being consulted. Ray's taking notes. Like, it's a good partnership. Although, James would acknowledge that maybe if it was not just half a case, it would be, a, if it was a full game, it'd be kind of boring to watch. But, like, it is just so so much healthier than any other relationship we've seen. I don't, I mean, it is healthier. It's healthier than any relationship that Miles has, which I guess is kind of the point. But I wouldn't say that, like, Phoenix and Maya is not particularly unhealthy and Apollo and Trucy is not necessarily unhealthy. But yeah, I take the point, which is like, this is the first time we've ever really had a mentor-mentee relationship 
in a situation where a mentor-mentee relationship would be correct and natural and anything outside of that is weird. Yeah, hel- right? healthy was my word. So that 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 was that was just a bad word for me to choose to use, but yes, I think it is it, that's another thing is like Gregory is an experienced attorney. This is the first time we don't have a fresh off the block attorney yeah. doing their first case. Gregory is known, Gregory's experienced and we see that in, you know, his actions, his sprites. You don't get those little blunders. And even if you, like, get at Gregory, like, one of his best sprites is, like, he gets hit, shocked, his glasses flip up, his hat flies off, but then he grabs it, and then he, like, puts it back down, and then he hits, like, this big old smirk. And it's, like, his smirk is he's losing the argument, and he loves it, is how Jams describes he, it. Yeah. And he's like, you got me. You got me. He's like, ah, yeah. So Gregory's in it to learn and love law and try. And that's another point is Gregory is wholesome. It's like not the best word to use, Jam admits, but it's true. Gregory doesn't have any malice. He doesn't tease anyone. He's genuine. You know, he loves his son. He loves Piece of Cake. He loves his job. He sings along with Piece of Cake. He gets called (laughs) by boy by Delicia and he just laughs it off. He's just like a good guy. Yeah, he is. Which, like, Phoenix is just a good guy, too. Like, he just does... Any ripping he does is pretty gentle. Like, he doesn't do things with malice. I think Phoenix just has a much more... I don't know, like, justice lens, maybe? Well, this is the interesting... So this is something we haven't really talked too much about, I don't think. But the the interesting part of Phoenix's persona when you play him versus phoenix's persona when you are against him mm-hmm. or when you are not in his brain which we have touched on but not you know at length but being inside of phoenix's mind he's not malicious per se but he also um is kind of wildly floundering most of the time trying to keep his head above water as all this crazy shit comes at him and he is very sure of who is who is guilty Usually, even if we don't actually know, he is very sure someone is guilty and someone did bad here and I'm going to get them. So I would say that's maybe not malicious, but intentionally creating an antagonist, right? He's also intentionally antagonistic towards the prosecution most of the time, Mm -hmm. whereas Gregory is not in that like Gregory doesn't know who did it, is not necessarily out to figure out who did it and also has no malice for manfred either he wants to be friends with manfred he wants to be cordial and polite with manfred and when manfred is not receptive to that he goes okay well i understand this the situation now and i have to prepare for what is going to happen in court and what is going to happen in court is this guy does not play by the rules so i'm going to have to have you know tools up my sleeve for that yeah and it's not like i have to have my own cheats i have to have my own trump cards you know like yeah it is true as opposed to Phoenix, where Phoenix is like, you know, dang it. You know, when Edgeworth upstates the autopsy report, he's like, dang it, Edgeworth. You know, you're a sham. Remember, I'm a sham. You're a sham. Yeah. The, <laughs> the court this, is a sham. This case is a sham. Like, Phoenix is uh, out for the truth. And it's less about the culprit for Phoenix than it is about, like, he is versus the prosecutor. Whereas Gregory is for the case all the time for the case, regardless of the prosecutor, it seems. Yeah, and I think that that would hold true if we got to see Gregory in court, but I also wonder if, like, that's the difference is we got to play, we mostly play with Phoenix in court, you know, 
We don't play yeah. with Phoenix investigating. Although I feel with Phoenix, we're just trying to run our head against hard-headed people far more often than Gregory is. <laughs> I, we're trying to deal with. Larry. I don't know about that though. Delicia is one person who Delicia is pretty clearly. bad. But as Gregory, we don't hit a Lada. We don't hit a Gre- We don't hit a Larry. You know, no. we don't hit. We don't hit the worst of the worst. In we only regard. hit one ridiculous person as opposed to everybody being ridiculous all the yeah, time. Yeah, we, we run. Yeah, Delicia is ridiculous, and Gregory is not like the fastest conclusion jumper, which is, I guess, like part of his personality. Because, like, when we were like, she turned up the temperature, she clearly isn't a pastry chef, and we had to wait 20 more minutes for Gregory to get there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I also think that it is. Uh, one of the reasons why Gregory seems so capable and and good at it is this thing where he doesn't hit ridiculous people constantly, but also he is surrounded by pretty capable people at all times. Because Detective Bad is his detective. Yeah. And Detective Bad is not a bumbling person. He is incredibly capable, even when at this stage when he's new. Um, he's, he's capable, and what Detective Bad is learning in this case is that the institutions which he works for are not just which then goes on to inform him in investigations one yeah um but it's not that he is a bumbling person kind of like gumshoe you know we love gumshoe he's lovable but he is a little bumbling Mm -hmm. nobody is bumbling in this case except perhaps delicia yeah i would say delicia is the most bumbly and like the you know the most hard-headed person we come up against is manfred and Manfred yeah. is, as expected, withholding information from us, but Gregory doesn't get, you know, Gregory keeps it cool, I guess. And that's, it is, it is just like the difference of playing the experience. Yeah. Uh, so, Jams will say in terms of this case is there's no logic chess, and Jams really likes logic chess. I was fine with no logic chess, but <laughs> <laughs> logic chess for me is very stressful. <laughs> um. And then, like, Jams kind of recaps, you know, how this case kind of plays in as a parallel to Edgeworth versus, uh, you know, like, what this case is. And Jams kind of straight up asks, like, is this a good case? Because some people say this is the best case in the series, best case in the game. Watching us play it can't answer that question because it's like crazy it's a cooking competition where everyone is corrupt the grand prize is a cure to a disease but i agree with james i think it's poorly paced it's poorly paced and it's super long and detailed but you can't remember most of the details the details are really hard to remember like you remember like because they're fucking crazy because they're fucking crazy and then like i do think that we spend so much time with, uh, you know, spoilers, Dengustavia unconscious, and we're supposed to really like Kate and sympathize with Kate, Kate falls a little flat because we're like, she's a murderer! <laughs> like, she yeah, almost killed and- Gustavia to catch the true culprit, but, like, no, she was gonna murder him. She was trying to murder him. Like, we're supposed to- she, was, she was trying to do a bad, but also, like, you, um... It oftentimes, it's not the first time that we've had a character in an AC Tourney game who has tried to do a bad, but you can kind of sympathize with him anyway. I'm talking about Godot. I will say, caveat asterisk, a lot of people hate Godot in the fandom, mm-hmm. and they hate him because he's a misogynist, which is, 
like I'm gonna say that and set it aside for now. But mm-hmm. The way that they wrote Godot trying to do a bad to to Misty Fay was uh, vengeance driven. After years of, uh, you know, being abused and stuff, Kate's kind of vengeance driven because of um her her daddy friend. I don't know, being put in prison unjustly. Uh, but, uh, since her dynamic with Masters is so fucking weird, it's not something that you can relate to, whereas you can relate to Godot was poisoned and now wants revenge for that. That's pretty visceral. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something that is relatable. Like, I don't think anybody is mad about, when they say that they hate Godot, I don't think they're mad about that. Because that's something that you can understand. Whether you do it if you're in the same position or not is a different question, but I think it's something you can understand. Whereas Kate's is really fucking weird. You know, my daddy boss has been unjustly put in prison. I have a super weird relationship with him, and therefore I will attempt to uncover the real criminal and kill them. And it's because that won't solve the problem of your daddy boss being in prison. Yeah, and it's like if if the if it which the thing is that we got fucked, like hung up on, and no one else in that entire case got hung up on, is how Masters was being tortured to confess. Yeah. If Kate was like, like Ma- Mr. Masters was the man who saved me, raised me, and brought me to fame, and I got kicked out of his house, and I'm alone in the world, and he's being tortured in prison unfairly, like, and I'm going to seek revenge on the people who imprisoned him. You know, that's one thing, but that's not at all what she says or seems to be her right. motive. Like, that motive is at least a, f- a through line. But There's a different way to do it. You're right. Like, in that regard, there's a different way to do it. There's many different ways to do it to make it kind of kind of insane but relatable, right? So trying to get revenge upon the people who tortured him, i.e. the cops and Manfred, that kind of makes sense. Or trying to find the real murderer and trying to torture the real murderer until he confesses, like sort of a parallel that would to be save cool. Masters, that would kind of make sense. But she doesn't do any of those No, things. they instead try to keep Kate's soft personality intact. Like, they don't want to make Kate evil or, like, villainous or, you know, have that harsh edge to her. They keep her soft. So she And that's why she falls flat. That's I why mean, she falls Yeah, and that's why she falls flat because it's, she's like I was trying to see if I could set up a situation where we could gotcha the real murderer and then let Mr. Masters go. Like it's not it's not working. Right. It's not working. And so uh, like And it's kind of interesting cuz if uh do you remember in in Dual Destinies when Sister Blackwell, Aura, went um, a little bit off the wall and decided to take a bunch of people hostage until she got what she wanted from the criminal justice system. Yeah, I do. Kate could have done that. Dual Destinies hasn't been written yet. Yeah. So they it's not like they would have been cribbing off of it. But if Kate had been like, I'm putting this museum on lockdown, I know who the real murderer is, and I'm not letting any of you fools out until I get what I want, which is Master's release from prison and this man charged with a crime. That'd be cool. But instead, we didn't do that. Instead, we just transported things on carts. Yeah. I just think if they gave Kate like that harshness, a little bit of hardness underneath her softness, like bitterness, not even like make her hard and villainous, make her bitter. 
Yeah, because I mean, in some sense, she has dedicated her entire life and her entire career to one goal, which is buying back this mansion and proving Masters innocent. And it's now been 18 years of that. Yeah. 18 years is a long time to be that driven. And so you'd like to see some uh, semblance of that come through. And it's sort of like interesting because we know Ace Attorney can do this well because we see Maya who keeps her joy despite hardship, right? That's one of the best written things about Maya is how Maya is able to be joyful and enjoyable to be around despite all of the hardship she's been through. And when she takes a turn... Because she has before, many times when she's in prison, when her family is at stake, she will take a turn to closing off and becoming not hard so much as... uh, uh, Sad. Sad. (laughs) It's not hard so much as sad, but I mean, we can see that that turn. Um, Kate never has a turn because she's always just kind of apologetic right right she's apologetic when she does when she does a crime but she's also when you figure out that she did a crime and you're like you did a crime ma'am and she's like i'm sorry (laughs) you know like sorry i just couldn't think of any other way to handle this and ray's like (laughs) what am i and we're like ray you're creepy (laughs) um yeah that's the other thing so we'll go back about that that dynamic of gregory and ray for a second yeah, well, first off, like, you're like, what happened to this child, Miles, that made that, that Gregory made that is so not what Gregory wanted as of a child? What happened to Ray that... that what Gre- happened to Ray? I was just going to say the same thing, because I would really love that Gregory-Ray dynamic if that would have, if we had seen in the case before, the prison case, when we meet Ray, and we have to function as a defense attorney for once. If Ray was like, thank God, finally, and take... Miles took a sort of a mentor role, even though Miles would have rejected it, took a sort of mentorship role to Miles and being like, I'm going to teach you the ropes of being a defense attorney, just like your dad wanted. And like it being been like a teacher thing. But Ray has the mentality at that point of, thank God, someone else can do my work for me now. Yeah. And then later, like that, this is not much spoilers, but later we get to see Ray in action and he is the worst lawyer in the series. Michelle has bar none verbally <laughs> expressed discomfort and upsetness extreme hand embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, extreme sympathetic embarrassment. Like the the sort of like the sort that I've never ever experienced before in my entire life uh with legal things of of watching Ray be a lawyer it's very upsetting so it's just (laughs) like and we know that ray like we have story time in this game with ray and we know that ray and gregory continue a relationship until gregory dies it's not like ray's like i'm gonna go handle things on my own now sir like no they stay in a relationship of assistant or mentor or colleague i don't know what they if they stay the same or not but they are maintaining a law firm together in a sense until Gregory dies, Ray takes over the law firm. What happened to you, Ray, that you you do not carry anything from Gregory? Nothing. Like, we see this with Manfred. Bratworth and Franzi both have Manfred mannerisms. Yeah. They carry something of Manfred, which is one of my parts of Ace Attorney, is you get to see it. They're different people, for sure. But Franzi and and Edgeworth both do arm grabs the same way Manfred does. Like, right. But it's it's not even like, I wouldn't even, it's not as simple as formal and informal, right? Because Ray is very informal and Gregory is very formal. If it was that simple, 
then I would, you know, not have as many issues with it. But it's like all of the things that Gregory seemed to value, like the respect, the, you know, treating people with kindness, the cooperativeness, like Ray just does it, just doesn't have those things. It's baffling. And like, it is baffling. And so like, this is the one time we also see like a, a mentor, uh, mentory relationship with an assistant and and lawyer where all of our other assistants are a thief a magician and a uh and a spirit teens yeah te- our, our spirit channeling <laughs> teens are like magical teens so yeah, like all of our all of our other seasons are teens <laughs> and so all of our teens need to are going to grow up and not become lawyers but you know i don't think all of our teens are going to grow up and become fuckbags you know like <laughs> I, I don't know it's so weird it is really, it's, and um, we're doing a lot of shitting on Ray here, everybody, and I want to, I want to asterisk, asterisk this because we're, um, we're not shitting on Ray right now as bad as you think. This is just us kind of deep dive critiquing the relationships. Um, I will say, I'm sorry in advance, there will be episodes of this show coming up where we will shit on Ray extremely bad. <laughs> um i can't not do it we're getting we're gonna get to it the reasons people we just talked about how people hate godot because he's a misogynist and boy oh boy are we gonna get into ray talk but not today yeah i so it's it's just one of those things where it's just like love gregory love the way that like i loved being him like interacting with people as him um I even liked Child Ray, except for the paper reading part. Other than that, Child Ray was a joy to have as an assistant. He was very capable. He was yeah. observant. It was he got to be whimsical when he wanted to because he was a teen. Um, it was a good time. Yeah, and I, so like all of that was a good time. I just personally don't like the structure of this case. I just think that having two separate flashbacks of story time with Ray don't work. They don't help me understand and digest this case. They don't help me experience Gregory and feel fulfilled by the time that we end the Gregory flashbacks. Because Yeah, we- I will say I don't like where we ended the Gregory flashback. But I guess they couldn't have crammed any more Gregory into this case and Jam's without kinda, us suffocating. And James in conclusion was just like, I just want a Gregory game. You know, I just want... Like, how we do AVPs of, like, the what-ifs and, like, man, wouldn't it be cool if, like, Franzi got her own Interpol game kind of stuff and we make a whole game for the Capcom? Yeah. You know, that's... James wants, you know, and I think a lot of people do, is just, like, give Gregory full time to shine. You know, give us all these these good things. Yeah. And I think a better way to do it is something that we've had in the series before, which is we've had Mia flashback cases but those Mia cases, and we've had an Edgeworth flashback case in Investigations 1 where you flashback and you played a whole case as a baby, Bratworth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, those worked because they were an entire case cold- told in that time period. Yeah. And and even though they were cases where uh, the ending is devastating and you lose, uh, it works still. And so this formula of flashbacking to Daddy doesn't work as much as if we had had this whole case in its entirety the flashback and the loss of the of the master's case in court if we i mean we couldn't do it because it's investigations but if we had done out the whole thing here's the investigation here's the court part and you lose and then gregory goes to get into the elevator and we fade to black that would that would have 
that would have hit real hard. And then the next case is you wake up in the museum with Edgeworth, not wake up like you were asleep, but you, you know, fade in, we're in the museum with Edgeworth and Ray's just told that story. And Edgeworth's like, yeah, I know. I read the files and why are we here today? And then we told the present tense case of that case as two separate cases, like it kind of deserves to be, but told chronologically. It would have worked better, I think. I think it would have worked better. And this is a, uh, you hate you hate to hear it, but this is a Game of Thrones problem, which is Game of Thrones book four and five are parallel happening at the same time, but they're told, they're just a selection of different characters. And George R. R. Martin and Ace Attorney in this case both tried something. They both tried a different like style of instead of being like, here's a case, here's a flashback case, here's another case. And, like, here's just two sets of books. As they continue on, they try to do this, like, flashback parallel thing or, like, chunk thing, and it just doesn't work. This alternative storytelling just falls flat and gets confusing. Because in, I think what they want to try to avoid doing is flashbacking to a case ago. They want to flashback to some other point earlier in the case, and it's like, it's not helping. It's just not. <laughs> it's just making me confused. And also, there's just so much in this case. Like, it just got long and it got, conf- not confusing per se, but just off the walls, I guess. It's a little bit too Jansland. Tedious. And then something that is confusing like that, told in a manner that is not chronological, is extremely hard to follow. And this is, I, I mean, there are examples of media that has done this well. I can't necessarily think of any at this time except for everybody praises the movie memento for it i saw memento and it was fine but i don't <laughs> but i mean like one uh uh what's his fucking name the guy who did deception cameron is that it i don't think it's cameron is it i don't know i don't know movies it's i did for nolan there you go so one of the people who is lauded as the ability to tell extremely complicated stories non-chronologically is Christopher Nolan. But if you look very carefully at those stories, they are actually extremely simple. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it complicated and, and high, hashtag high art or whatever is and hashtag best film ever is because he tells them out of order. He takes something that is a simple story tells it out of order and it makes it seem really complex and highbrow you know inception being like no spoilers for inception because i don't fucking remember any but inception for example being a story where you can dive into dreams and influence the person uh the person's behavior in wakefulness from the dream that's that's a cool concept. It's not um it's not a new concept. That's always kind of been a thing. Like what dreams may come, but that was death, but whatever. That's not a new concept. But telling the story non-chronologically through diving into dreams within dreams within dreams is part of what makes it complicated because ultimately what happens is it's a heist movie where a bunch of people are trying to influence the waking behavior of Cillian Murphy through the dream. That's it. Also, also known as Persona 5. Also known as Persona 5, but Persona 5 needs 150 plus hours to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Inception needed two hours and 42 minutes, which is still very long for a film. <laughs> so so I do, I do think, and then we also, we do a lot of tedious things in this case. Like, 
we we questioned Larry and Kate for a long time about things that just you get stuck in that little minutia of a thing that you start losing the threads and the big pieces and and ultimately like the case doesn't have to be very complicated and it parts of it are kind of it's just like not necessarily a super interesting case if you are like if you think about certain things like oh yes like this sculpture and this sculpture like they start talking about those things and i'm like i'm bored can we move on Oh no, you need to know that the liar strings are salty because they're made out of blood. Okay, that's important. Okay, I'm back on board. <laughs> well, they're made out of poison. They're made out of poison, but you know, so it's just one of those things where it's just like, I was, I didn't care. Oh, oh, the, 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 I have to care now. I have to care now. Pull it back. Pull it back. Pull it back. Because we just got <laughs> we got too into it at, at times in this case, and then it wasn't helping because like people were fighting you along the way, and then the case kind of falls flat for me in the way that like we don't get a lot of resolutions that we feel we should deserve. And that's partly that feeling of we end the flashback with Gregory at a bad spot. And the other feeling, too, is, like, Dan Gustavia wakes up and he's, he done did it and he's the worst villain I've, like, he's just, like, worse as in, like, a terrible human villain. Like, oh, it turns out he's a huge bad guy. And then, like, because he was asleep the whole time, the fact that you talked to him, I guess there's a lot of spoilers for that case in this. I guess I'll have to go back. (laughs) It's hard. There's spoilers. It's hard, yeah. But, um. So, interestingly enough, the it would have been clear that Dave Gustavia was the villain the whole time if he had been conscious at all during the case because of how he fucking acts. <laughs> yeah. And so I think if you want to, like, examine Gregory and be like, why did Miles turn out that way? You know, as a child, and Gregory wanted him to be a whimsical boy. I just, I chalk it up to, like, you can't fucking, you can't fucking control children. Like, that's just not how children be. It's true. Um, uh, you know, I think maybe something happened to Mrs. Mrs. Edgeworth, maybe, if there was a Mrs. Edgeworth, that maybe soured Miles the way that he is. I have a suspicion that might just be it. Potentially. Um, but I will say for the record, Capcom, we know you listen to every episode of this uh, <laughs> podcast. Capcom, never, ever tell me what happened to Mrs. Edgeworth. Never, ever ever bring mrs edgeworth back like she was not dead the whole time because all hey capcom all you can do at this point if you touch mrs edgeworth is ruin it yeah don't don't our imagination we are curious and that's fine and our imagination has filled in some of the gaps but if capcom whatever you do it's gonna be worse don't fucking do it no don't do it because i want you to talk about mrs manfred von karma but the way i wrote her (laughs) Right, I would much rather you talk about Mrs. Manfred, although I will be disappointed when it is not that she's a mastermind behind the scenes of a case like we had created her to be. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only that's the only acceptable mama you can bring from the past. And if Phoenix's mom shows up and she's a regular person, that's also fine. Yeah, but I can if if a good example of how you'd really fuck up Mrs. Edgeworth if you just did anything to her is the Lassa. Because the lass's role is so fraught and weird. Like, she was dead, but not dead the whole time. And that's why she was absent. Like, if you fucking do that. Well, same with Misty. And same with Misty. is Although Misty's is less, slightly less. Well, because she's um, dead now. Because she's dead now. But, like, uh, Misty's realization of how much she has uh, reneged on her duties as a mother and been not present uh, is worse for Misty because she was conscious the whole time and did it out of sh- cultural shame. 
But um, yeah, at least she had the, the, the wherewithal to feel bad the whole time <laughs> to feel bad about it. But she, um, it's kind of a fridge realization about that. It's like you don't think about how bad Missy was while you're living it in the case. You think about it after the fact. Whereas Thalassa, I I am very cognizant of the fact that she is just silently not participating in the lives of her children, even though she wants to and feels ashamed that she didn't. And uh, continues she's to not. just not. And, and she just continues to not. And why? Because Phoenix Wright told her not to. Lady, he's not the boss of you. He's just the main character. And also, he's a bad dad. So, like, don't Such a terrible listen to dad. Him. And I guess, it, I mean, if you want to, like, if you want to parallel the dads here of Phoenix Wright and Gregory Edgeworth, it's, once again, no contest. Like, they're very different people. But Gregory talks and dotes on his child where Phoenix is like, oh yeah, I let Trucy like tear apart my offices and do whatever she wants. And uh, that's fine. Oh, she got kidnapped? Eh, Paul will take care of it. It's fine. <laughs> it is very clear that Gregory loves Miles, whereas it is clear that Phoenix loves Trucy in Apollo Justice. But as we continue, it is becoming less clear that <laughs> Phoenix loves Trucy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he to be fair phoenix did not have any commentary on the fact that trucy signed a contract that would uh fully bankrupt the right anything agency if anything bad happened that's something that apollo and uh athena struggle with is the the damages from the the, the contract breach um because phoenix is ignoring the problem like yeah. he's in a different country i he'll, he's in a different country i will say but he makes no attempt to get back home or talk to Trucy in prison or anything. He's just like, oh, but I'm in a different country helping Maya. It'll be fine. Yeah. So it it is, uh, Gregory Edgeworth continues to be a good dad in, in Ace Attorney. He has done nothing wrong. He is a beautiful human. <laughs> a, a little confused, I would say, because he's just, yeah, he, because I saw a picture on Tumblr, which was Phoenix and Gregory side by side, says both of these guys are 35. <laughs> and Gregory looks wizened. I do keep thinking about that as I stare at this ribcageless picture of Gregory. <laughs> this, this man is 35 and he definitely looks 54. But um, that aside, Izzy, Izzy, final point on this because we have other things to do this episode. Is Gregory Edgeworth as good a dad as Big Wins Kataki? Um, I'm gonna say because at this at this point in this in in my career in this podcast is <laughs> I am going hard in the paint for the Kitakis as best mother and father in the entire series. Big Wins Kitaki and Plum Kitaki, best mother and father, is Gregory better than Big Wins Kitaki? I'm gonna say they're on par. That's my take. I don't know. If, I don't think he's better. But I would say they're on par. So the only reason why I don't think they're on par is I'm giving Big Wins points for his growth. Although we didn't see his growth on screen, but he has quit organized crime and gone straight and started his own business in order to make a better life for his son. And his son is a problem child and uh, fights against you know, the better judgment and growth of his father, and yet Big Wins continues to support and love him even when he's engaged to a terrible person. Like, he's 
Big Wins is trying to get Waki to be a good person, despite everything. And Gregory is just trying to get his son to watch cartoons. I feel like it's a hard parallel to make because Gregory is trying to have his son have whimsy. And if it's now in my, like, if something happened to Mrs. Edgeworth and Gregory is, and, and you know, Miles is sad and he's trying to have his son find joy again and be a child again. Uh, you know, I think he's doing the best he can by an eight-year-old. Now, you did bring up a point, I, You know, that's true. I I didn't give that point. It is if there was huge tragedy in their past, then his search, his attempt to get his son to be whimsical is is a healing in nature. So, okay, I'll give it to you. But I will say, I for me, Big Win's still better. Well, Big Win's is just a great person. <laughs> I just like I love big wins. Like if you're asking me who I love more as a as Stephanie, I'm gonna pick big wins because I love the Kataki family. Well, I I, I love all of them, but I mean I, I'm specifically talking about who's a better. Dad. But yeah, if you're talking about and it's, specifics, like it's just hard to say because like we don't know. Like I could be inventing backstory here for Miles being sad or a weird kid. Where potentially where, but it is. I will say it's hard to hard to compete with. Quitting being the head of a Yakuza clan. It is, but like also- To create a better life for your family. But also, never become a Yakuza leader. Never join the Yakuza is a pretty good, uh, I never joined the Yakuza because I- The absence of growth is not persuasive. (laughs) No, it's not. It's just Discrediting. (laughs) But it is like, you know, it's like- I picked, a, I picked a really good career to, like, raise a family and start a life, you know, and, like, care about justice and the truth. And it's like, I didn't do that, but I got out of it. But I got out of it. See, it's that's very powerful. Though. It is very powerful. But it is hard to compete with if you've never made the choice, the wrong choice in the beginning. I suppose so. I suppose that you never have, you never have put your family in jeopardy in the first place. It makes you maybe a better dad. But... I think Waki Kitaki didn't exist when he joined the Yakuza. So he took him and his Yakuza wife and left the Yakuza, although he did wait until Waki was, what, 17, 16? It's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on par, I guess, is the is the moral of the story. You know, thought, the opinions differ, but Gregory and, Gregory and Big Wins Kitaki are... Uh, Pretty great. In the running for best dad in the series. I will take I will take persuasive things. I will say to your credit though, but we, we aren't sure once again. If you are trying to take down the most evil lawyer, Manfred von Karma, and you didn't have plans for your child after something happens to you, that might be a bad plan, but also might have been plans that Manfred usurped. Also could have been Gregory never thought Manfred was gonna fucking kill him. <laughs> That's true. I mean, well, nobody expects to be killed by Manfred von Karma. Unlike <laughs> despite, us. Despite everything. Yeah, us, we're just waiting around the corner for Manfred. But um, I don't knock him for not expecting to be murdered by his opposition. Although I do knock him for if his if something tragic happened to his wife, then having no plan for what happens to his child, something that happens to him, it seems like that person would be even more... Uh, aware of the possibility of something bad happening to you. Right. Although we don't know if something bad happened to Mrs. Von Karma or not Mrs. Gregory Edgeworth. We also don't know um, if maybe he did have a good plan and Manfred usurped it, but that that introduces if we're, if we're going for those externalities, it introduces the fact that um, why didn't Ray uh, 
do the feel good shoujo manga thing of taking in the child as a 17 year old and raising him as his own yeah ray where were you to be <laughs> yeah the ray where were you because so then anything any credit we give to gregory about that we then have to take away from ray <laughs> In real life, in real life, the expectation of a 17-year-old taking in a stranger's child is is unreasonable, and I would never expect any teen to do that in real life. However, in anime, it is fully expected. <laughs> yeah, it really, really is. <laughs> yeah, especially in this series when Phoenix takes in the child of his former client, uh... In Ace Attorney world, you can just take in orphans anytime. It's like Batman over here. Yeah. Uh, so really what's is. what's with you, Ray? Um, I I mean I've said I said this. I I'm glad we met Gregory. I enjoy his sprites. I enjoy him. How do you feel, Michelle? Oh yeah, I'm very happy with my okay. Gregory. And he he meets expectations. I he may even exceed expectations from being an enigmatic background figure to being playable. Um, the only thing that's weird about him being playable from being a background figure is why they decided to trench coat and noirify him. It, it is a little uh, weird. I'm not against it. I just don't understand because we had a headshot of Gregory from all the old cases and it was just him in his gray suit with no hat. Uh, so I don't know why they decided to just do that, except to make him more interesting, maybe. Yeah, they gave him a lot more mystique. But he's the only person wearing a coat. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, it's cold because it's all these ice. It sculptures. is December. It's it December. is December. But he's so it's really everyone else is weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, case solved. Um, now our our friend our friend of the podcast, Jing, has caught up on the episodes and said, "Hey, you guys did a really good job explaining case three, but I'm confused." And I was like, well, would you like like a too long didn't read summary? And I think that would be helpful. Okay. Well, before we do that, Jing also asked about what the fuck is logic chess, right? Right. And so, um, so I can try and we can try and do, so this will be real spoiler, like real heavy spoilers for, well, for case three. Yeah. Of, what the fuck is, so the questions from Jing are, what the fuck is logic chess? Who are actually the assistants in this game? I'm confused. Uh, okay. Which is fine. Is Ray recurrent? Uh, you know, so like questions that are fair questions. It's just that we didn't think to ask them because this game doesn't follow proper formula. Right. Yeah. It's it's let's go through them. We're getting into heavy spoilers for investigations, too. But let's go through them one by one mm -hmm. is um, I'm going to go with simplest to not simple, I suppose. Who are the assistants in this game? Jing, not... This game, yeah, doesn't pro follow proper formula. There is not one assistant per case, even. Uh, everyone is around all the time. And Jing's like, what, do they cheer? Like, what are they doing? Good question. They, <laughs> good question. They're in the background making comments about stuff. Like, when you have a dialogue and the people's uh, sprites come in, uh, it's everyone. Not all at once, but, you know, Edgerth will say something, then Kay will say something, then Gumshoe will be like, yeah, bail, and then, you know, everybody will come in, right? Yeah, and then sometimes you forget Gumshoe's there because he hasn't spoken in, like, 30 minutes. Yeah, but then he'll pop in and be like, that's not how it went, pal, yeah. and then, like, pop back out again for 30 minutes. So, like, everybody's around. Usually, there's only one person, because in this game, as opposed to the normal Ace Attorney games... Edgeworth can walk around and shit. That's the investigations thing. Mm -hmm. Usually there's only one person who is whose sprite is following Edgeworth at any given time. It's um, usually Kay. 
it's usually K because I don't think they had built the other sprites to do that. No. So I guess if you could say a main uh, main assistants are the one who is following you around in this in episode three as it is K when you're Miles and when you're Gregory, it's Detective Bad. Yeah. Ray stands in the corner, even though he's the main assistant, the person who follows you around is Detective Bad because they they frame it as Manfred wanted you to be watched while investigating. So Bad is on you like glue. Yeah. And I think Gumshoe is occasionally your assistant in the fourth case. Well, Particularly when Kay is indisposed, Gumshoe will follow you around. And then there's later in the cases, you have other people following you around. We'll get into that later. Yeah. But so to answer the question, there is no main assistant. Most of the time, everybody is around all the time. And I think Jam's counted. There's <laughs> upwards of like seven people sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so there's is a lot. It's a lot. Um, all right. Logic um, chess. Logic chess. So TLDR version. Logic chess is a timed segment where you have a conversation with a witness trying to get information. There are usually three dialogue options that you can pick. You have to go through the dialogue trees to find clues. And then you use the clues to unlock more dialogue options. This is timed, so you basically have to get through each section without fucking up before the timer runs out. And then another section will come up. Uh, The timer will sometimes, if you pick wrong, give you a penalty and you'll lose time that way. Yeah, Uh, if you say something dumb... It'll give you a penalty. Sometimes if you see something done, though, it just puts you back at the beginning of the tree and you've just lost that time. Yeah. So that's that's the, the long and short of it. The more extensive answer is this is Edgeworth's version of the Megatama. Instead of locks, what will pop up is chess pieces. And you have to break their chess pieces, physically break them with verbal attacks until they will tell you what you want. And the people you're talking to usually have an Apollo-style tell. So yes. um, if you are questioning... I'm trying to think of someone you logic chess in the third case. One we did was Dane Gustavia extensively. And so one of the his yep. was when he pretends to meditate, just wait and see what he'll say next. Because that is sometimes a, a key mechanic of this is wait and see, is a thing that Edgeworth can yeah. do instead of questioning. So if you if he's meditating, pretending to meditate, you wait and see, and he'll he'll res- he'll he'll respond correctly. If you try to push him too far, he'll retaliate, and you fucked up. And then you have to go back, and you've wasted your time. So that's that's the the if you want to say core game mechanic, the core game mechanic of the Edgeworth games versus well this one because I don't think we had logic chess last time. I thought we did. It just wasn't as present. Or we just wasn't, there wasn't as many, I would say. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of logic chesses, I will say. Because we, um, we had the logic think mechanic in both games, for sure. And that one always is rough because, like, you pick up random, essentially, like, thought clues of Edgeworth. And you go into his things and you try to connect the logic. And if you don't connect them right, he gets a headache and you lose, like, points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's just kind of uh, the logic mechanic there, as opposed to logic chess, the chess game. The logic bubbles connecting is like, you know, um, one example from this particular case is they only use white tablecloths. A blue tablecloth was on the cart, you know, and then the that the um, 
there are cl- uh, there are UV fluorescent cloths that can change color. So you would connect. They only have white tablecloths. There was a blue tablecloth on the cart. Or you'd connect like the UV cloth can change color to there was a blue tablecloth on the cart. And sometimes you have to do like that and then you you can like do like the white and the blue and then you connect those and then you have to go back and like that makes a new thought and you connect that to the UV light and then that like progresses the game. And that yeah, that's those are basically walls where you have to do the logic bubbles so that Miles can have new dialogue options with people or have a new realization and then you move to the next scene or something. Yeah. So those are parts of the game that are not normally mechanics in Ace Attorney games. Correct. And walking around still is is a mechanic and that just like makes the investigation a little more immersive, immersive, interactive, what have you. Um, yeah. All right. So, so the TL, TLDR of case three. Okay. Yeah. Let's run through this. Um, we're going to, as we just talked about, it's more easy to follow shit like this chronologically. So let's run through it chronologically. Yes, I agree. 18 years ago, a TV star named Mr. Masters, who is a chef, a world-renowned pastry chef, although he comes from a family of pharmacists who owns a pharmaceutical company, but he has lived his dream of becoming a pastry chef TV star. He decides to host a contest at his house, a pastry contest, world's best pastry chef. The finals of that contest, there are four contestants. Three contestants? Uh, there is... Three. And Masters. And Masters. Masters is showing off in the other room. But there are three contestants. One is Dane Gustavia, a sugar sculptor. One is, um, fucking Pierre Hoquet. What's his real name? Uh, oh, shoot. Isaac Dover. Yeah. One is Isaac Dover, a, uh, Sherbert sculptor. And one is, uh, Delicia Scones, a cream sculptor whatever those mean so these are the main talents they are competing for the world's best pastry chef because mr masters comes from a family of pharmaceuticals uh like pharmaceutical company for some reason the prize of this contest is a book of recipes but the recipes are for experimental drugs one of the experimental drugs is the treatment for a taste disorder where you can't taste anything but uh, you can't taste anything salty. As as you fully expect from hearing this description, almost none of the entrants are in this for the prize of best pastry sculptor. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, because the prize is so fucking off the wall, none of the final, all of the finalists are cheating because they all want this book of pharmaceuticals. Delicia Scones is being assisted by the protege child of... Masters, her name is Katie Hall. She, Delicia works for the pharmaceutical company, the Masters Pharmaceutical Company. They want the book because it's their fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> they have conscripted the help of Catherine Hall because they're going to punish Masters and take away his mansion for giving away his book. She doesn't want that to happen. So she's helping uh, Delicia Scones. They're a team for the pharmaceutical company. Um. Isaac Dover is in it. I'm not entirely sure what his motive was for the clout. He might actually want to be the best pastry chef, but what he is in real life, he's not a pastry chef or a sherbet sculptor. He's an art sculptor 
his real name, secret name, whatever. His his art pseudonym is Pierre Hoquet. He's a famous sculptor. He makes stuff out of clay. He makes statues, you know, all that stuff. So perhaps he's in it because he wants to be the best sculptor of everything. We don't really know anything about Isaac Dover. Um, Dane Gustavia. Dane Gustavia is a sugar sculptor. He's actually really bad at it. (laughs) Yes. He wants to be in this contest because he does eventually want to be the best pastry chef. But why he's in it right now is because he wants the book. Because he has the taste disorder where he can't taste any everything he can't taste anything salty and it's hurting his career to be a pastry chef and sugar sculptor. So that's the setting. Throughout the competition to get to the finals, we know that um, D- uh, Delicia Scones is using the help of Catherine Hall, the protege of Masters, who is a real pastry person. She's cheated her way to the finals using that method. The other two have cheated their way to the finals using each other. So, Isaac Dover is good at sculpting, bad at desserts. Dane Gustavia is good at desserts, bad at sculpting. They've been helping each other up until the finals. Dane Gustavia has also been using his child to taste the desserts to make sure the saltiness thing isn't happening. Right. Um, So the children will randomly come to these events. Dane Gustavia and Isaac Dover's... Yeah, they met through their sons because they go to school together. So the children have been coming to the events to do the tasting. um, And run off. And run off. Pierre Hoquet, Isaac Dover, uh, has discovered Dane Gustavia's dark secret of not having a tasting. Not to mention, he's actually discovered a further dark secret, which is that Masters also has the same taste disorder where he can't taste anything salty. So, knowing this, Isaac Dover waits until Dane Gustavia has helped him create his finals masterpieces. They did this the night before. So he's he's cheating further, but they did it the night before. He's created these elaborate sculptures out of sherbet. He's made sure that one part in particular, the strings on their zodiac themed, the strings on a harp lyre um, are extremely salty because he knows that Masters has the disorder and that Masters will taste that part and think it tastes really good. After he's succeeded in getting his sculptors, it's competition day. Dane um, Gustavia is struggling and so he runs over to Master's room and he steals a Polaroid camera and he's taking pictures of the cure to his horrible disease. Um, and then Pierre Hoquet slash Isaac Dover comes in and he says, I've discovered your secret of not being able to taste and I'm not helping you anymore in this competition so that I win. And I've also told your kid that we don't need him anymore. And so he won't come help you taste. So you're going to lose for sure. Ha 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 ha. Now pay me a bribe. Or else I will tell the world about your your hideous taste disorder. They're they're all very upset about this taste disorder. They're extremely upset about this taste disorder. So this drives Isaac. Uh, this so drives Gustavia. Dane Gustavia into a rage, and he kills he, Isaac Dover. He does do the moita. Yeah, he does do the moita. He's in the the room that is Master's room because all while all this is happening, Master's is making his elaborate chocolate art to show off. He's not competing because it's his competition. He's just showing off. So they're in Master's room at the time. So Dan Gustavia hides the body inside of a chocolate treasure chest that Master's has created, and then he goes back to finish his his competition side of the competition. At this, uh, at this, this is all during basically intermission in the contest. Tea it's time. tea time. So immediately after, I assume the murder happens and Dane Gustavia leaves the room, in comes uh, Katie. Uh, 
Or Delicia. Not Katie. Well, in comes Delicia Scones. Delicia Scones, in addition to being here on behalf of the pharmaceutical company, volunteered to do this because she loves desserts. And so she (laughs) sneaks into Master's room during tea time and is like, I'm going to eat all this fucking chocolate and decides to taste every single thing in the room. She takes a nibble of everything. She does, including, so the, the main sculpture in this room is a giant chocolate sailboat. And so she, and the treasure chest is at the base of the chocolate sailboat. And so she eats, a, one of the things she takes a bite of is the supports holding up the giant chocolate sailboat. So the giant chocolate, she then leaves, the giant chocolate sailboat falls because you ate the supports for it. And she, it crashes into the treasure chest, cracking it open and exposing the body. So in comes, uh, it's it's judging time now. In comes Katie Hall. She's assisting with the judging. Um, in in essence, how she's doing that is by taking pictures of the displays. So she waltzes into the room. She has the Polaroid camera. This is the one that Dane Gustavia stole. He's returned it now. She has a Polaroid camera. She sees the body and she goes, oh, fuck. But she also figures out that the body is Pierre Hoquette. She happened. I don't know how. We don't know how. She just does. The ring, maybe? Maybe the ring. Because he has a, a seal that he signs all his art with. And he happens to have it on a ring. So she takes a picture of the body. But she also goes, oh no, that's Pierre Hoquette. I'm a big fan of Pierre Hoquette the sculptor. So she goes over to Pierre Hoquette's room, Isaac Dover's room, and takes really detailed pictures of all of the sculptures. Then she alerts everyone to the body. Because the body was found in Master's room, he is suspected of the murder and arrested. In comes Gregory Edgeworth. He's the defense attorney for Master's. We do the investigate. Oh, yeah, we do the investigation. We find, you know, the murder weapon was, uh, he was bludgeoned with a rock salt lamp. We find the rock salt lamp. We uncover that all these people are fucking cheaters. Um, one element of this is that they, Manfred von Karma is not playing fair. Right? Right. Manfred Karma is the oh, prosecutor I forgot. for this case. And he, he, I forgot one thing. Yeah. So before Katie Hall, Katie Hall, the next thing Katie Hall does before she, uh, when, when all the investigation is coming. Like, the, the cops are here. Gregory Edgeworth is here. Everyone is here. Katie Hall knows that she needs to, one, save those sculptures. So she is transporting the sculptures secretly, un- right under the cops' nose, so that she can save those Pierre Hoquette sculptures. At the same time, Dane Gustavia is like, fuck, I need to hide this body better because the cops are here. So he hides the body inside one of the sculptures. So, without knowing it, Katie Hall transports the body of Isaac Dover inside of one of the sherbet sculptures to an undisclosed freezer location where she puts them because she's trying to save the sculptures because she loves this artist so much. And it's somewhere in the mansion. That's all we know. Somewhere else yeah. in, the, in the mansion here. All we know is it's somewhere in the mansion. So that's happening underfoot while Gregory is figuring out all the pieces of this puzzle that we've talked about. And Manfred is not playing fair here. He is uh, hiding because he doesn't know where the body is, but not telling anyone else that. That's the main, right. the main sticking point is Gregory is being like, you know, like, no, you can't come in here and investigate. And then yeah. we think... I believe that Katie melts the statues. Well, she fake melts the statues. Yeah. She throws some melted sherbet on the ground to fake that the statues have been melted. So Manfred's engaging in a cover-up because he's trying to hide the fact that he lost the body. 
Meanwhile, Katie is trying to cover up stealing the sculptures. She fakes the melting of the sculptures. It's a big thing. Uh, Manfred, to get this cover-up successful and to get his prosecution perfect, is got the cops torturing masters to confess. Gregory is aware of this. And so Gregory, finding the fact that this is futile, the investigation is never going to uncover the truth because of all the, the tampering and shit that's going on. Gregory and Bad, Detective Bad, team up so that Detective Bad will record basically the torture sessions and hear the false confession. They've Because they're going to coerce a confession. It's only a matter of time. Gregory knows this, so he gets Bad to help him on the inside. The case, the trial for this lasts a year. That's how bad it is because of all the cover-ups. And we know this is bad because Ace Attorney, it's got to last three days. This one lasts a year. They eventually finally end the trial because there's uh, the false confession. So Masters finally, finally breaks. They threaten to put Katie Hall in jail instead of him, and that's what breaks him. So he falsely confesses. Gregory presents to the court the, the fact that the confession is false. It doesn't stop the trial or the guilty verdict. It really just gives Manfred a penalty. Then Masters is found guilty. Then Gregory dies. He is murdered. He is he is murdered. Ray, Gregory's assistant, takes over the firm and says that he is going to spend the rest of his life trying to get Masters out of prison. Cut to today. Miles Edgeworth and Ray are going to go to the mansion, the same mansion, because Katie Hall has purchased the mansion and turned it into a museum. The main exhibit at the museum, weirdly enough, are exact theoretically replicas of the sculptures uh, that were in the case 18 years ago. What has happened in the meantime is the fam- the pharmaceutical family sold this mansion. Katie Hall has had to work as an actress her whole life to buy it back because she knows that those these ill-gotten sculptures are in there. Um, when she finally buys the mansion back, she realizes that actually one of these sculptures has the bot the missing body in it. So she goes in her in her <laughs> her head, she decides that what this means is she can the only person who knows that that body is in there is the real murderer. So she's going to put all the sculptures on display, saying that they're replicas, and the real murderer will be coming to check to see if that body's still there. So that's what she does. She creates a museum. Reg figures it out and he says we gotta go because what do you mean they're replicas you know what's going on so ray and, and edgeworth are here the real murderer dan gustavia does know that the sculptures contain the, bo- the real body so he goes into the room with the sculpture that he thinks is the one that the body is in it has been disguised it's not actually the case she's because she's figured it out he takes a blowtorch to it to open it because it's cold their sculptures made of sherbet um but katie hall has has put poison in the display which he by heating it up with a blowtorch triggers the poison and gets poisoned um this was intended to kill him it did not so he stumbles out of the room and passes out from the poison they get him medical attention fast enough that he does not die uh, the other, I've lost a little bit of the chronological. So she did this, she, she, Katie Hall has obtained the poison 
by stealing it from Delicia Scones, her friend, who is helping her set up her new museum, but is also a pharmacist and carries deadly poisons on her (laughs) everywhere she goes. So uh, Katie Hall has set it up so that the real murderer will find the body and be killed by the poison, and the person who will be framed for it is Delicia Scones, because she's the one who carries poison around with her all the time. Perfect plan, right? Flawless. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, so we don't necessarily have to go through the rigmarole of Edgeworth and and team figuring out how. No, we can... I mean, basically, that's... That's pretty much it. That's pretty much the case. So what happens is we figure... Like, Edgeworth figures this out. There are barriers to this, but ultimately, uh, we learn we, we learn that... We learn all these beats. We learn that it's Pierre Coquet because people are stupid. We learn that Delicia was cheating. We learn that... And we have to, like... Rep- we also have to, like, prove ourselves multiple times in game mechanics. So... What happens at the end of this, and, like, Courtney and, you know, DeBest show up. Oh, I will say the last thing that Katie does is when the cops are here to investigate the poisoning to kind of throw off the scent again, she dumps that body in a place where it will be found. Oh, yes. She does do that. So, she does do that. And then, like, melts the statues again? Or for Yeah, real? but that's kind of to cover up. Like, she's... She... She does, again, melt the statues just like 18 years ago, but really this is out of a floundering to try and keep herself out of um, the the uh, suspicion of the cops. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. So we, we, we do a lot of questioning and figuring this out, and then Dane Gustavia is fine. So we are allowed to question him now. And he he we logic chess him, but he practically confesses. It's really... Very clear. He confesses because he thinks the statute of limitations is up. Right. He thinks that he cannot be charged for the crime. But we get him on a technicality because the case, the trial of Jeff Masters lasted one year. We get him on a technicality. However, another technicality presents itself, which is that the trial of Jeff Masters lasted one year. That extends the statute of limitations on Dane Gustavia. If, for some reason... For some reason, this doesn't make sense, but bear with me. If Jeff Masters is acquitted, that means that the statute of limitations, that means basically his trial is procedurally scrubbed from existence. So the statute of limitations on Dane Gustavia does not start at the date of the guilty verdict. It instead starts at the date of the murder one year prior, and he is outside of the statute of limitations now. So... If Jeff Masters is acquitted, Dane Gustavia walks free. If Jeff Masters is not acquitted, Dane Gustavia is guilty. Does this make sense? No. Is this how the game is? Yes. <laughs> Kay Faraday is upset. Yes. Kay Faraday is upset because it doesn't make sense and is unjust. Everyone else is like, yeah, it is unjust and it doesn't make sense. But what do we do about it? What do they end up doing about it? Nothing. Nothing. But Dane Gustavia gets arrested. Dane Gustavia gets arrested, but the argument is that it'll be sorted out later. Ray is really just like, this probably means Jeff Masters will not go free. Uh, Or that Dane Gustavia will go free. But it is more important to me, Ray, that we proved Jeff Masters innocent on principle. And even if that means that a terrible murderer walks free, at least my innocent client will not be in prison anymore. And I believe Katie is going to prison now because she did a lot of bad things. 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, she's not going to prison for murder, but she is going to prison for attempted murder and um, tampering with evidence. Yeah, and I think... And hiding a body. <laughs> yeah, so she is going to go to jail now, but Masters is probably going to go free. Right. Uh, but maybe not. Yeah. It is, and, and, and Jing, and maybe this is not clarifying in any way, um, the case is extremely confusing. Yes, and, like, the things that, like, like tripped up Jing were, like, what do you mean, like, the murderer was murdered, like, the, the like, uh, Pierre Hoquette was murdered with a salt rock lamp? Like, yes. He hit it, he, Dan Gustavia hit him on the head with a rock salt lamp so hard he died. I don't know how to make that more clear. This is a chocolate competition. Where the fuck did this rock salt lamp come from, you know? It's a chocolate competition full of cheaters. Yeah. And so <laughs> but if it's I'm telling you casually, oh yeah, so there's this chocolate competition, blah blah and then someone was murdered with a rock salt lamp. You're like, where the fuck did that come from? So Yeah, but think about it like this though. It's poetic. You see, this is what the ace attorney writers were thinking that nobody would realize, but this is what they were thinking. This was their intention. Everyone in this case can't taste salt. So to be killed with a rock salt lamp is ironic. The fact that Dane Gustavia's one handicap in his life is salt, and then he kills somebody with a Himalayan rock salt lamp, that's poetic irony, says the Ace Attorney Writer's Room. <laughs> we nailed it, says the Ace Attorney Writer's Room. <laughs> High fives all around, says the Ace Attorney Writer's Room. Meanwhile, everyone's like, why the fuck are there salt lamps? <laughs> Absolutely. So I hope that helps. His Achilles heel is salt, and his Achilles heel is murder! <laughs> It doesn't work out that way in practice, but that was the intention. Yes. And I can see that was their intention painted on the wall, but instead it just seems fucking stupid. Correct. Um, but I hope that helps. I hope that I helps think it too, helps. Especially for people who are not watching the stream. However, let's just do a little plug here. If you do want to watch the stream, it's all on YouTube. Hey, just look for... Link in the description. Look for the link in the description. Uh, we are up to part, I believe, 24 now. We've just been playing it for a long time, uh, but we are... It's a long game. We, it's a long game. We are on the final case of the game. That doesn't mean anything for how many, how much longer we're going to go, but... <laughs> we have no we idea. We are case five out of five, so if you want to start catching up, now's a good time. <laughs> uh, yeah, link in the description for YouTube, or you could like come and just drop a line and say hi, or be confused with the rest of us, or listen to us do our silly voices. Uh, on the stream, we play every Friday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time in the U.S. Uh, and uh, it's... I think we're on Central... Or no, we're on Standard now. We were on Daylight, so that was confusing. Anyway, oh. whatever time it is in Chicago, that's 7 p.m. in Chicago. That's the time we play. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's where we are. So, uh, yeah, every Friday, and uh, it's us and our friend Kevin, and we have a good time. And mm -hmm. uh, if you are confused or want questions or have thoughts, you can send us an email at objecttothispodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to us. I fixed the Spotify thing, so we have all of our episodes up on Spotify uh, and everywhere else on your podcatchers. But if it's not there, let us know. We'll try to get it there. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The last review we had was about cheesy angles. Please erase that. Yeah, and 2018 was the last time we had an iTunes review. <laughs> Which I get it. That's uh, probably what, what yeah. we deserve. But, you know, it'd be nice to get one. It'd be nice. Um, uh, thank you to Dark Shadow H2 off the YouTubes for use of our theme song, Hey Pal, a Detective Gumshoe Remix. Hey, thank you to the Pitch Changer tool on Audacity for our ending song from Banff for Von Karma. Um, 
Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Everybody. Uh, be safe. And was that all the things? I think it was all things. Yeah, I think so. Be safe. Americans go vote. Uh, happy Halloween. So in the meantime, I'm Stephanie. I'm Michelle. And that was Object to This, so why don't you object to that? The child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for the new and as it grew, he'd say, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And the cats in the